Welcome to The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Becky Scher, and this week, for the second week, we will have a special guest host standing in, the illustrious, the infamous, the two-time guest, three-time, three-plus-time Tweet of the Week award winner, always supportive, and mostly food fright critical, Jeff Kolb. Woohoo! Jeff? Welcome to me. Um, in this episode, we are pleased to welcome Jan Unstead for the entirety of the episode. And to start, we will break down who Jan Unstead is and how she identifies and views the state of the Republican Party and how she helped shape my career. Then we will break down how Minnesota is being viewed on the national stage after the wild 2023 legislative session. We will then go national and break down the presidential race, specifically the pool of presidential candidates developing on the Republican side, recent presidential polls about the race, and more specifically, Biden's standing. Finally, we'll end the show with our typical tweets of the week and the food fight with Broadcorp and Becky. This week, uh, the food fight with Kolb and Becky featuring Jan Unstead. Uh, We are going to be debating this week's specific surrounding favorite summer beverages, alcoholic or otherwise. We are excited for you to be joining us today, and while things won't be the same without our my favorite co-host, Jeff and I will do our best, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode, um, and we will hopefully have uh, Broadcorp, the other namesake, back soon. So, Jeff, thanks for standing in last week. As uh, you guys so kindly discussed, my son was home with a very gross disease illness, uh, hand, foot, and net mouth. It was gross. We're over lots of days without sleep. Um, man, daycare, I tell you. You've got kids. Your kids ever healthy? Does it get better? It does get better. I, I, I am. I, I can tell you, it does get better at some point. Now we still uh, during the winter months, things still pass around through the school, but it's definitely not like they were when they were very young. So, and the good news is they grow out of some of those um, things. I don't think you see hand, foot, and mouth too often after uh after those young years so that's that's good uh they come home with different things obviously um but uh thankfully we haven't seen anything like lice i remember we had a big lice outbreak when i was in uh first grade so that was that was exciting the girl who i shared a locker with had lice and so we had to go do some preventative measures so that was exciting uh creating lifelong memories let's lead into Jan is an incredible leader with experience in public affairs, events, political, and fundraising world. She has spent a number of years working for Senator Rudy Boschwitz, served as chief fundraiser and later as director of corporate and foundation relations for the University of Minnesota. She spent time as finance director for the 2002 Coleman for Senate campaign and in 2010 for the Emmer for Governor campaign, where she was my boss, which more on that later. And she has raised funds for PACs, organizations, nonprofits, and recently spent five years with the Citizens League before starting her own company, where she continues to share decades of wisdom and knowledge with the masses. Welcome, Jan. Mostly what all that means is I'm old. You experienced. are. We yeah. prefer the term experienced. Yeah. Experience. So, so Jan, it's Jan, I invited you on the show. Uh, I reached out. And the reason I reached out is because I have this theme in my head that Becky doesn't know yet, but maybe she does. Maybe I can't remember if I sent her the message, but it's people who I have never met in real life, but enjoy their political takes on Twitter. And so, so I've got guests line up for the next three shows or this show plus two more, and then I'll turn the reins back over to the, to the 
the uh, the actual hosts, but I wanted to invite some people who, again, I've never met in real life, but wanted to get a little bit more in depth on their political opinions. So that was part of it. And so we've gone back and forth quite a few times on Twitter about things or sent some messages, some private messages back and forth. Uh, but uh, but we haven't met in real life, so and we well, still haven't. I don't know if you remember, but I think it was pre-COVID, and it was before food takes existed, because obviously pre-podcast, and you were talking about some um, hamburger joint, and I said I had never been, and you're like, okay, we need to meet and go to maybe it was Five Guys or something, and then the world locked down and it never happened. So have you, maybe it's have, better this way. Have you been to Five Guys? I have not. All right, we'll we'll rectify that. Well, yeah, okay. now, I love it. Now that we've virtually met, okay, well, we'll we have to make that happen. It's I worth guess. a try. It's definitely worth a try. Well, well I is, love this um, theme. Interesting to be here. <laughs> interesting. I will take it. word. <laughs> that is going to be our new quote highlighted on our website and social media. It is interesting. It's interesting to be, here. to be here in the most Minnesotan sense of the word. Indeed. Well, Jan, you know, obviously with your, you know, you've you've seen a lot, you've done a lot, and I want to, you know, I think we kick it off by maybe if you want to chat a little bit about how you got started in this crazy, wild political world and then kind of transition into hot takes on today and, and the chaos that it looks like now. You know, it, it's interesting that I was reminded of it because we had a Rudy Boschwitz staff reunion a couple of weeks ago. And we do these maybe every five years. And, you know, Rudy's getting older, so they start to become more and more meaningful. But literally how I got started in this, which is not a story that would ever happen today, was... I was stuffing envelopes for Wheelock Whitney when he ran for governor because his campaign office was the cross across the street from where I worked. And like the last week of the campaign, they did a bus tour and I took the day off and I went on the bus tour and by happenstance, I ended up seated next to Rudy Boschwitz. So I figured he knew my name and probably two months later, I got laid off from my job. And I went to D.C. for the first time I had ever been to D.C. And I sat in his outer office waiting for him to come back so that I could talk to him and ask him for a job. Wow, that's like movie meet cute stuff. I mean, seriously, it was bizarre. So he finally came in and took me into his office and his receptionist thought I was, you know, some weirdo and likely correct. Um <laughs> And he's like, well, I don't have anything right now. Because, of course, like everybody, I thought, oh, I wanted to be a policy person. And so this would be great. And he said, but let me call the campaign people. Maybe there's a job for you there. So fine, went back home and volunteered on the campaign for like two weeks. And then President Reagan called and said he was coming to town. And six weeks later, we were going to have a presidential event, the first event I had ever done. And so they hired me. Wow. Well, at least you started small. Nothing like right. a presidential I mean, event to get to, to get you going. Yeah, it's like start with a U.S. senator and a presidential event. It is not a normal political trajectory. So, so Jan, one of the things, um, one of the things we talked about, you, you were, uh, I think, a bit reluctant to come on the show, and I wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit because um, there is i think you come from a time and i and, and i don't maybe it's not so old fashioned because becky i think you had a little bit of the same experience but people who have worked on as staff on 
campaigns or for politicians um, are kind of of two minds on this. Uh, should you be behind the scenes uh, or are you allowed to be out in public and have your own kind of personality? So can you talk a little bit, Jan, about your perception? And then Becky, I'd like to hear your opinion as well. Yeah, and and I am not of two minds about this at all. Staff <laughs> is behind the scenes. Staff's job is to make whoever their principal is look good and to introduce other people to them. Um, but the idea of staff being out front kind of gags me. Um, I just I don't have an appreciation for it. You wouldn't even know the names of staff people um, when I was in there because we. We were important internally, and that's where having a good boss, a good, you know, senator or whomever matters because they needed to give you the praise so that you felt some of that affirmation. But getting it on the outside, no, ick. You know, and my experience is, is very similar. You know, I spent years working for, you know, writing scripts or speeches or whatever it might be for my bosses to go and deliver in person or on video or what, whatever it may look like. Um, and always standing behind the camera, you know, having, you know, knowing the reporters, but that was not my job to speak on the record, you know, sometimes press releases or things of that sort, but usually your job is to amplify your boss. Um, and I always uh, would tell any staff that I worked with that if I had to spend, you know, five minutes explaining anything they did or said to the press, uh, making excuses or anything that I would not advocate for them to keep their job, because that was a distraction, right? That was, you know, you you were meant to to be behind. And and Jan, your your comment about Ann Staff brought me back to when I worked on the McFadden campaign. Um, I had to do a fly around, and one of my biggest fears was obviously, you know, the the Wellstone crash is deep in and everybody's mind. And my my fear was in those situations, you are unknown. You are Ann Staff. I mean, right. it is Wellstone and Staff perish in plane crash. I mean, like horrible to in, in any scenario but to also just like in that scenario to be on the unknown side was was also terrifying of you you know just having that and staff title but but in this respect it it took me a little bit i think anybody who's listened to this podcast maybe from the beginning will understand that it took me a little bit to understand or even like find my footing a little bit because it is just a foreign concept for sure so how how important is staff to the success of a politician? Oh, I'd say staff is critical. I mean, if you have a bad staff, you can be a great candidate or a great um, office holder, but your staff can screw you up and they can let you down and they can become the story these days more than in past days. Um, you cannot possibly be an expert on everything and you can't possibly know everyone. You should know and you can't possibly go everywhere you're supposed to go. And if your staff is bad, that all just gets amplified. Do you think, based on your experiences, Becky and Jan, do you think it's fair to judge a candidate based on their staff? If somebody hires a certain staff member, is it fair to make a judgment on that politician based on their hiring of that person? You know, um, I have actually said on Twitter to reporters, it would be great when someone announces for office if you also report who their staff members are. Because to me, that matters. It says something about what the person values and what they place importance on, on who they hire. 
I think there's like a guilt by association almost in, in that as, in some regards. I think there's sometimes you find out who is behind a, a candidate and you it, it's somebody who's just looking for their next paycheck that maybe not necessarily even believes in what they're doing or or who they're just supporting and and just really kind of fighting for that way. I, I think certainly staff is is very crucially important. And and to that, Jan, I think you coming from a fundraising is, is a lot different than anybody that we've we've talked to or had on the podcast because I think a lot of people see a lot more of the political side or the communication side and understand what that staff is or does. But can you speak a little bit to, especially, you know, on the Coleman campaign or even Emmer statewide of what running a multi-million, I mean, you're running and you're tasked with raising millions of dollars. I mean, how what does that look like? And and just tell us a little bit, maybe some stories of your experience there and and you know, the pressures of that. You know, I, I when I would interview for jobs, I'd, I'd tell people that I, I'd describe my job as making people do things they didn't know they wanted to do. Um, because it's hard to intimidate people into giving money. You can intimidate them in, potentially into some policy positions, but for someone to, to give up their own hard-earned cash, and more importantly, all the races I worked on, um, I really dealt with a finance committee that ended up being... A, Lots and lots of people, and lots of people who had recognizable names, and um, you wanted them to feel comfortable asking their friends and family and coworkers and other CEOs to, you know, join into something. And so you really had to understand persuasion, and you had to be able to give the political arguments so that someone felt like this just wasn't the total lost cause, and they were going to give you pity money and then go away. So uh, if I could, two things. I wanted to circle back to staff for a second, because I absolutely judge candidates based on who their staff members are, and I can already tell how your campaign's going to go if you have certain people attached to your campaign, and that's been proven out cycle after cycle after cycle, and people get really angry about that, but that's absolutely something that happens. One thing, I so let's go back to money for a second, because we got to a point at some at some point, raising money became like almost a bad thing in Republican politics. And I don't understand that. And I don't subscribe to that theory. And I understand that it takes money to to win campaigns and things like that. But how do you think we got to the point where the candidate who can raise the most money somehow is looked at by this activist class as, as it's almost a detriment that they can raise money? You know, I'm, I'm lucky in that my first political boss was Rudy Boschwitz, who um, had been a finance chair of the state Republican Party and who liked to raise money and who still likes to raise money. And Rudy would tell all of us that every time you ask someone for money, you were giving them a chance to believe in you and, and in what you stood for and in how you did your job, and that that's how we had to view it, that it was um, just as important as a vote in many ways, because it was someone who was staking their their um, their hand in the sand on your behalf. And so I think that really colored my feeling about fundraising, whether it was nonprofit fundraising or whatever, you're giving people a chance to participate in something that's meaningful to them, um, with something that most people really value, and that's their money. How it became dirty is just beyond me. I mean, if people think that you can run a campaign or run a nonprofit or whatever without cash, they're just flat out wrong. 
Well, and especially on the Republican side in Minnesota, because we don't have that apparatus that the Democrats have. And and can you speak? So, you know, you obviously, especially back in the Boschwitz time, there was a, a flourishing, functioning state party. There was, you know, some faith and, and support behind the overall Republican cause. You know, you obviously with you guys met on Twitter um, are, are you pay attention to what's still going on in this day and age and the mega and the, you know, activist Republicans and, you know, just Republicans in Minnesota struggling to to find their footing. Can you what's a little bit of your insight of what's changed or how that I mean, million dollar question. Right. But like how things have evolved um, and and maybe what we can do to get back there. You know, it's something I struggle with because. um I come from the Reagan era, where if someone agrees with you 80% of the time, that's a good thing, and where the name of the game was persuasion and not intimidation um, or vitriol or figuring if you yelled at someone that somehow, what, that's going to bring them to your side? Tell me exactly how that works in real life, because it doesn't. Um, And so I think that the idea that somehow we're going to be successful because we're pure with an ever-shrinking pie is just something that doesn't make sense to me. But it seems like that's the the um, the modus operandi these days is the fewer people, but the stronger they are, the better off we are. So, Jen, you, you live in Minneapolis. I do. Is there some particular are you being punished or is there some were you is there some okay let's move on so i uh, grew up in it <laughs> so, you know, so you, guys at the hardware store you know yeah, so so you, you you opened the door on on a, on a topic and one of the things that kind of stinks about a weekly podcast is that you know you record on a certain day today it's tuesday and then you'll we'll release on thursday and by then some of the news is a little bit old but i don't i think we'll still be talking about it at the end toward the end of the week we had kind of a dust up this week where the chair of the minneapolis dfl um had uh some not nice things to say about a president that you've brought up a couple times here ronald reagan um tweeting uh something to the effect of the only good deed that ronald reagan ever did was died uh that's what she was getting at she phrased it a little bit differently um ended up causing uh some condemnation from ken martin and then some even stronger condemnation from the left of the party against Ken Martin for daring to say that maybe celebrating the death of a of an American president is not the right thing to do. Any thoughts on that, Jan? Well, I mean, number one, living in Minneapolis, you have to pay attention to, to DFL politics. And I do. I mean, I live in the city and I care about the city. And um, that's where everything happens in Minneapolis. So, yeah, I, I will say that I can't understand celebrating the death of really almost anyone. I'm sure there's a dictator or two that would fall outside of that, you know, Hitler, Stalin, take your pick. Um, But the idea of putting out in a public forum this statement that celebrates someone's death is just beyond the pale. I mean, I don't care if it's a politician or your next door neighbor. That is the civility or lack of civility in that is just astonishing to me. 
I had a Twitter uh, interaction today. That makes it sound almost like a medical problem, but anyway, I I had a Twitter interaction with uh, with former uh, state senator Dave Thompson, um, who mentioned uh, another person that we've that uh, Paul Wellstone, who Becky had mentioned earlier, that when um, or when Paul Wellstone died, um, there was not. I, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's some weirdo, some fringe psychopath out there somewhere, but normal people did not celebrate that. I, I didn't agree with Paul Wellstone on almost anything politically, but what a horrible human tragedy, not something that you would wish on anyone. And so when you look, go to, when you contrast something like that, I, I really think I have to put the stake in the ground and say, Jan, you, you and I are correct on this. That that behavior is is aberrant. It's outside the norm. It's indicative of a problem. It's really, um, it, it it's really an issue that people behave like that. But um, there, I think you need a new hobby. I really think if you if if you get that worked up about politics, that you are getting to the point that you're wishing death upon somebody, then or not even necessarily wishing death, but celebrating the death or saying something stupid like you know, hey, uh, the the only good thing Ronald Reagan ever did was die. I mean that that's uh, when you've got to that point of. Um, I think I think you need to reflect, and I think as a as a society we need to say, um, it's not okay. And you know, I was I was thankful. You know, I, I'm um, I struggle a lot with Ken Martin because I think that there are I think Ken Martin first of all is really really good at what he does, um, but I think he also has the he has this kind of two-sided personality where he plays, he plays both sides, right? So he's going to say, Ken will give the right quote to the press on, um, on something like this, but then, but then encourage that type of kind of nasty in your face behavior and in other instances. And so I really struggle with people who I think um, are maybe not entirely genuine in their, feelings about um about condemning this type of behavior uh i i'd like to think i'm very consistent about it that there are definitely lines and you can toe up to the line and i'm not afraid to you know um to make a point or do do kind of get to that line a little bit because that is politics there needs to be some back and forth and it's not a tickle fight as michael uh, broadcorb always says i mean there but so yes there's going to be a little bit of a, a little bit of back and forth but some spirited back and forth is a lot different than wishing death upon somebody or celebrating their death well i, I mean saying that you disagree with someone whether it's politically or personally or whatever it, there's a lot of space between that and saying i'm celebrating your death um, and and I would say it goes beyond politics. It it bleeds into life in general. And I am the first to admit I'm old fashioned about this. I don't think that is helpful or useful discourse. Um, but I 
I was shocked when I looked at Twitter, and I missed most of it. I was golfing last night. I golf on Monday nights and got home to this, holy crap, what? How dare you? Yeah, I know, really, have a life. Um, But the idea that the criticism was coming from both sides sort of stunned me of how dare you criticize that she said it, and how dare you criticize you criticizing she said it. Uh, We had a... We had another DFL chair um, double down with some uh, very abhorrent comments that I'm not even going to repeat here, but some really nasty stuff about Nancy Reagan. Um, And so, you know, unfortunately for someone like Ken Martin, when you have a number of your kind of elected leaders coming out, you had a state senator jump in on the Reagan stuff uh, and kind of it's tough when you're going to go out and say this is beyond the pale and then you got some other people coming out of the woodwork saying oh yeah you think that's beyond the pale uh wait till you see what i've got to say and so um you know i think that that gets to a broader problem in politics that we have today we you know um i i'm not one who uh i there tends to be a lot of kind of new people who get into politics and think that politics started when they started in politics, right? That that history started when I started paying attention. Um, and that kind of thought process drives me crazy. I mean, we, we if you look back at the history of the Republic, we, we did have some actual, you know, um, physical altercations on the on the floor of the House of Representatives at one point. Uh, there were, you know, so things have been tense. It's not like we haven't had tense politics before. Um, Jan and Becky, in your opinions, since you've been involved in this game for for um, you know less than five long, minutes, though. right? Is is to is it different today than it has been in the past? Is the tone and tenor different? And if so, why do you think that is? I mean, I think obviously the Trump era has a lot to do with it, but I think it's just in particular very um, hypercharged social issues. I think people feel very passionately about their sides of social issues. I mean, I remember I used to be very proud to say, you know, when I worked in the Republican Party and then I remember as long, you know, when I worked for the state party just, you know, two, three years ago, um, having to get police escorts to our car from the state fair because we were wearing a shirt that just said Republican, like not even Trump MAGA. I mean, and it's just, it's very disappointing. Um, And I'll let Jan answer, and then I have a follow-up. Well, and it's interesting, because after golf last night, I go out with my girlfriends, and we say we talk about the game, but mostly we drink. Um, But we were talking about this exact topic, and, and all of them said, why would anyone run anymore? I mean, if you are looking to be involved in politics, why would you subject yourself to the kind of discourse that surrounds it these days? And these are are reasonable people who have paid attention for a long time, and their reaction is simply to opt out. And so where does that leave us in terms of people who are willing to play in this? You know, is it the edges? I guess my observation would be yes, that's it. And there's there's the middle, um, and I don't like the term the middle because in some things I'm pretty far right and in other things I'm pretty far left. So I suppose I end up aggregated in the middle, but that's certainly not, I wouldn't say I'm milk toast in the center of it all. But it's repellent for a lot of people to listen to this kind of thing and say, if this is what politics is like, is it, if this is how we're being governed, why do we want it? That's funny. 
it, that's funny, Jen, that you said that about the middle. Sorry, Becky, I, I apologize. I know I cut you off. I know you had a point because I can see your face and you're going <laughs> to give me the evil eyes. But people do misunderstand that being in the middle means like you don't have opinions on things. That's not what I guess we're talking about. We're talking about looking at the political spectrum and saying, I know I ain't that and I know I ain't that. So I guess that puts me in the middle. It's uh, Becky, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I just wanted to kind of close out this Minneapolis conversation and, and what it is um, with actually to uh, give you a nod to your tweet last night of saying that, you know, every I know we try to not swear on the show, but your tweets put it so eloquently uh, said that everyone has the right to make the ass, an ass out of themselves on social media. But when you do so, being an officer in the political organization, your behavior reflects on the entire organization. And I think this is similar to candidates, right? I think this is where us as Republicans lose so much on the messaging side because we have situations, again, when I was at the state party and people were likening the mask mandate to, you know, Hitler and the Holocaust. I mean, nothing as bad as the Holocaust. Hopefully nothing will ever be as bad as the Holocaust. You wearing a mask while may going against what you personally believe is not it does not equate that, right? And the amount of conference calls we had to have with party officers, candidates, activists to say, stop saying this. You're distracting from any... Please, please stop saying Holocaust. Can. Just just lose it from your vocabulary. Well, and it's not even, I'd say, not even, you're not, yes, you're distracting from it, but you're just flat out um, wrong. <laughs> you are making it worse for yourself and for everyone else. You are showing a degree of of ignorance, I would say, mm-hmm. that's just stunning. And you're turning off people. Like you said, my mom right. is very similar to, to your friends that you go with. She just like texts me all the time and she's like, oh, I'm just over this. Like, you know, it, it just it just turns those people off. The reporters only have so much time and energy and space to to cover stories. We want them covering our plans and our vision for the future, not this crazy tweet that somebody said. And and thankfully this time it was on the DFL side, but we've had our share of that and, and so uh, I mean, there is I, I, no high ground on this at yeah. all. I don't know if you saw the Dave Oreck story on this last night, but Dave, uh, the he recapped the kind of Hall of Fame or Hall of Shame, I suppose, of uh, Minnesota uh, Twitter fiascos, and I was very glad that I was not listed anywhere on the list. But he kind of had the kind of said the worst of the best. Um, I do want to I want to wrap up. I have one more question for you, Jan, and then and then let's move on to some of our other topics here. Um, having been somebody that has worked with donors, worked a lot of donors being within the business community, CEOs, executives at different levels, or, you know, people in the C-suite level of of, of the world. Um, we've kind of expressed a little bit of a frustration with business folks kind of, you know, taking a backseat, whether this cycle or, or the cycles in the past. Obviously, they got burned a couple times for putting, you know, spending money or being involved in some supportive of a candidate. Um, but if, if you could maybe give some advice to uh, Republicans in this world or to the business world, um, that of of how they could get, you know, dip their toes back in and maybe help us, whether it's with donations or policies or whatever they may look like. Do you have any advice of how we can kind of kind of come back together, Republicans and businesses? Well, um, I guess my question would be more to the campaigns and and to the elected office holders is, what do you want from them? If if you just want to use them as a piggy bank, 
um, and then do whatever you want and concentrate all of your public and private um, pronouncements on really divisive stuff and obnoxious stuff, then you shouldn't be surprised if you aren't getting the kind of support that you think you deserve. Um, they are not piggy banks, and they are not folks who you don't end up being a CEO of a company most of the time. There's a couple exceptions I can think of um, by just being flat out stupid. And so what do they know? I mean, I remember back in the early days of Norm, um, when he was running for governor, that he said when he first became mayor of St. Paul, the first thing he did was go around to the CEOs and other prominent people, nonprofit folks and whatever in St. Paul and sit down with them and say, you tell me about the city. Um, tell me what you think is working, what you think isn't working. You need to do that because there are insights that may exist and going up to some, I mean, I literally remember a prominent elected official still in office coming to me after doing, I was doing a fundraiser for someone else from out of state. And she said, well, of course, you're going to do this for me too, right? And I'm like, uh, yeah, actually, no, because why should I? What makes you think just by virtue of holding office that we're obligated to do this for you? And I was working for a CEO at the time. And it's just that kind of attitude of, well, of course you have to. Mm, no, you know what? We've got a choice too. Do you think there's a way for us to get back there? Or is that honest, just on the candidates to kind of be willing and open their minds, arms to have those conversations? I think it's more on the candidates. And I think that fundraising has changed. You know, when I did um, most of my political fundraising, at least, uh, there was sort of the churning direct mail kind of fundraising, small dollar events and stuff like that. And the major donors, the group that I tended to spend more of my time with, really had more outsized importance because there just wasn't that much that came in. And now with the amount of small dollar recurring donations that comes in, I think that that has flipped a little bit. And so I am quite confident that there are people who don't think it's worth their time to um, either give or get those larger dollars because the churn at the bottom keeps it going. Fair point. I need to tell one story and then we're we're going to jump on. So as I mentioned earlier, you were once my boss about now, which is wild, 12, 13 years ago on the MR 2010 gubernatorial campaign. Um, and a quick story, which you may not even remember, but something that I feel like really helped change my perspective or give me perspective on this crazy political world, um, especially as a young woman entering. So you came in as finance director and I was finance assistant. It was my first job on a campaign. I was 24, 23, 24-ish. Um, very green, very new at everything here and major lacking in confidence and, you know, having that wonderful imposter syndrome that, um, you know, young women in particular Love to love to hold on to. Um, so back then, as we talked about, the party apparatus was very live, functioning, everything of that sort. We had incredible surrogates that came in. We had Newt come in. We had Jindal come in. And we had an event with uh, Mitt Romney that came in. And this is one where I think that um, 
Uh, that you kind of maybe, I don't know if you were actually handing over the reins or gave me a little bit more responsibility, but um, I remember you kind of asking some questions to me of, you know, somebody at the main table didn't show up. What are you going to, you know, who are you going to put there? You're, were, were the, the events starting, the candidates in the other room rewriting his speech? What are you going to do about it? And I remember sitting there being a little frustrated at the time, like, you're the expert. Why are you asking me these questions? And I think it was really kind of, uh, you know, that day I was like, what the heck, ha- heck happened? Like, I don't know why this is going on. And the next day I had that aha moment. And I was like, oh, this is really the first view into this world. It is a sink or swim world. You got to figure it out. You have to have the confidence. You have to figure out really um, you lean in, make decisions, be quick, take, you know, be quick on your feet. And, and and stand behind it. And I think that um, for me, while it, in the moment, it was very frustrating after the fact. I think it was something that really sunk in with me and gave me a lot um, going forward. So I just want to thank you for that opportunity and learning moment and, and, you know, being a great boss back then. Well, and I really appreciate that. I don't remember that, but I I I was almost always older than everybody else. And at some point, you have to learn how to how to be decisive and how to sink or swim and and you make a decision and you stand by it and you figure out how to make it work and if you don't learn that particularly with events you can never do an event in your life yeah they're hardcore man okay so you said one more story but now i get my last story because jan and i have communicated about this my favorite event that i've ever been to was a jan event when uh george W. Bush flew into town and uh, landed Air Force One to Van Halen uh, right now by Van Halen. Seeing Air Force One land on the Jumbotron was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my entire life. I tell the story every time I hear the song, which is uh, actually kind of often because it comes up a lot on the on the playlist. Uh, the kids are big Van Halen fans uh, because I'm a good parent. So that was my favorite uh Janavan, we fought about whether it was at the Target Center or the Excel Energy Center, and I swear it was at the Target Center, and Jan swears it was at, X- at Excel, and I guess she would probably know better, but... And I swear it was at Excel, and it was, <laughs> and it was literally the last event, and so there was leftover money, and it's like, let's just blow it out, and we got the permission to show, quote-unquote, live, you know, of the whole landing, and... Are you going to tell me that wasn't live? You're going to break my heart. <laughs> oh, it was, was it totally a tape delay? all right well moving on here um we're gonna jump right over the minnesota articles uh we'll maybe come back to them we'll put them out on twitter there were some great articles um highlighting minnesota and the dfl's single party control and and all of the chaos they they put forward um you're transitioning (laughs) we're gonna break down Nice break it down. I have to applaud you real quick that it's been almost 40 minutes and, and that was really the first time yeah. since the beginning. So nice work. Thank you. Um, we're going to break down the presidential race. Um, let's just talk high level here. It's been a big a couple of weeks since we've talked presidential. Um, we have DeSantis. We have Tim Scott. We have Youngkin reconsidering. Sununu is out. Haley did a town hall. My man, Chris Christie's getting in. Um, Doug Burgum, Mike Pence, a whole lot. Now, Michael and I, when we first started talking about the Republican uh, candidacy and and what would be the only way that it could be maybe not Trump is a limited 
pool, right? If we have it similar as last time and we have a million candidates, it's going to likely just the seas part and, and Trump, you know, stomps down the middle. Now, that's not yet, you know, a, a lot of time between now and then and the race isn't over until the fat lady sings. But here we go. Um, what are your thoughts? Anybody you like, Jan? What do I we? I don't want to put you on the spot if you're a Trumper, not Trumper. Where you where you stand with all of this? But do you like Trump? Do you like any of these other ones? How? What's your What's your feel on it all? Well, no surprise to anyone. Um, I have never voted for Trump, and that's not going to change. So there's that. I I like Nikki Haley. Um, and that's preliminary. I am not someone who thinks that this is a two person race now. And you know, do I know anything about it? No, I'm just making it up. But I like her policies. I like, I watched the town hall and it worked really well in the town hall. I don't know how it will translate to the debate stage, but I like how she lays out her line of thinking about things. Um, you know, even as she went into the abortion issue, which is incredibly difficult for people to talk about, but it's like, okay, well, it needs 60 votes. So how do we get from here to 60 and what actually works? And I think having someone, I am so tired because I did not like Trump at all, of just bombast and and policy that was off the top of your head that I could never quite figure out where it came from because a week later it would change, it seemed like. And I think she has a depth of experience that I don't see in other people. And she has a demeanor that lets her get away with saying things that are sort of close to the edge sometimes. But if you say it with a smile, you somehow get away with it a little bit differently. You know, like Tim Scott on The View. Um, you can go after people and call them out, but do it in a way where people are actually willing to listen to you. Jeff, thoughts? whole lot of people here there sure are um there, there there are you know i think the most interesting uh person on the stage at the moment is ron DeSantis. it from the standpoint that it seems as if he has that he has been cast as almost the trump foil or the the as like the man we're focusing a lot of energy on DeSantis now. And and you see a lot of people, and this is the thing that drives me crazy because um, I wasn't the world's biggest Donald Trump fan. I think he deserved a lot of the, a lot of the criticism that he got, but I also, it was not um, crazy anti-Trump person. Right. And so if you're going to make the argument that Donald Trump was a unique threat to the Republic because of who he was and specifically how he acts, but then you try to turn any Republican who comes after him um, into Trump, um, regardless of who they are, uh, I'm just going to stop listening to your noise. And, and as again, because politics didn't just start when I started paying attention, I, I'm old enough to remember when Mitt Romney was Hitler. You know, I, I mean, we we were we were outraged for months about binders full of women, and I, I know someone. Dog. Who, I, I know someone who dressed up as a binder full of women for Halloween, and you know, and it, it was this whole thing. And you look back, and it's all, like, oh, that's so quaint. But when everything is a is a when everything is so dramatic and everything is turned up to 11, then I think you lose not only just me, because that's where you lose me, um, 
but I think you lose a lot of people. And I'm very curious to watch how Ron DeSantis, who has really been kind of taken that mantle, I think, of if you talk to many people on the left, they they literally think it's illegal to say the word gay in Florida and that Ron DeSantis paratroopers are going to come down and storm your house. Um, and and that's, you know, the the truth is, the truth is actually Florida is a really interesting uh, mirror image of Minnesota because Florida had um, all Republican control while, while uh, Minnesota had all Democrat control. And you saw what a kind of unified all Republican state looks like, the kind of legislation they passed and the things that they thought were important. And, you know, I don't mind a fair... Um, critique of that but you can't just say you know florida's become you know germany from the 1930s at this point just because you know at some point you just kind of lose all credibility in terms of your um your criticism so uh i think desantis is the most interesting i would never in any circumstances endorse someone in a primary i have basically a 100 percent lose rate yeah. in primaries so um uh, the only people I would ever endorse in a primary is someone you know you want to lose. Um, yeah. But I think that there are some really interesting people, whether they can get into the spotlight. I'd love to hear more from Tim Scott. I'd love to hear more from Nikki Haley. I'd love to uh, – I've, I've heard everything I've ever needed to hear from Chris Christie at this point. But I think you know some of the other people – hey, I was a huge Christie fan back in the day, and he lost me during the Trump years because I don't know where the hell he went. He was off okay. in – off in crazy town. Well, let me let me address a few things here. First, want to uh, again quickly here. Let's let's chat. Uh, DeSantis's announcement, major failure, right? I mean, that was pretty awful. The Twitter rollout. I I really don't think it matters. Really, Seriously? I mean, I mean, we 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 move on so fast. No one's even talking about it anymore. Doesn't matter. What about matter. the messaging of it though? Because I want to read this a little bit and and let me. If, when I read this, I thought it could have been any candidate over the last like 30 years. Um, we should choose a new, new direction, a path that will lead America's revitalization. I am running for the president of the United States to lead our great American comeback. Like, yeah, I mean, lot. are we going to get any not stale messaging from this guy? At least Nikki Haley, I think, has a more unique vision. I do really like Haley. I don't dislike DeSantis. I just was a little, I mean, Romney was the, and and Paul Ryan's race was the great American comeback. Like that was their big tagline. I mean, I just feel like it was a little lazy writing. And I got to defend my man, Chris Christie here. One article I read said, the whole vibe of the Republican contest feels increasingly passive aggressive with pretenders giving Mr. Trump the side eye as they throw varying degrees of shade. I agree. While I don't want somebody that's going to necessarily be another bombastic Trump, I do really like Chris Christie, and I think he is one that would be able to go toe-to-toe with Trump, which is something that I think MAGA supporters want a fighter, and whether that I think I think all of these candidates can step into that. I think even Haley, who's not necessarily going to be out there fiery, you know, lobbing bombs, but I think that she, you know, we need somebody to step up in that kind of more aggressive in some capacity to to really to really get there, I think, and be able to fill that void in people's hearts that they want Trump as this at this point. 
two really quick things. One is I want Chris Christie in there to do exactly that. Um, I think he's got a role to play. And if he's willing to play it, great. But I'm with Jeff. I don't know how I can trust him again after (laughs) that. And then on DeSantis, Peggy Noonan had a great um, column, I don't know, maybe last week, talking about DeSantis and why doesn't he talk about things like, yeah, I might not be warm, fuzzy, but I'm competent. Look at how quickly I got things at least moving after Hurricane Ian. Look at this. Look at that. And so I think that there is some people are going to have to message to what their strengths are. And I'm not sure I see that happening yet. That's fair. Uh, last thing I want to point out here, um, and if you guys have any closing remarks on presidential, is there was a recent poll um, where two thirds of Americans believe 66 percent of Americans view Biden victory in the upcoming presidential election as either a disaster or a setback. And whoa, are those numbers bad for an incumbent president? Um, I mean, and it's paving the way. 56 percent of the people said the exact same thing about Donald Trump. Which is why we need somebody else. I would love anybody else on either side to yeah. uh, a, a fresh start on both sides would be would be lovely. I tend to be a fatalist. I think we get what we deserve. I really thought we were getting Jeb Bush, so uh, but I, <laughs> turns out I was wrong about that. Uh, I thought I we were going to get Bush versus Bush versus Clinton was what I expected we deserved. I assume we're going to get Trump versus Biden again, uh, just because everything's awful all the time. But I hope to be proven wrong. I hope you are wrong. Our food fight with Kolb and Becky featuring Jan instead this week. Favorite summer beverage. Now, this topic comes from from Jan, we I put out a tweet saying we needed some ideas here. Jan suggested favorite LaCroix flavors. I loved that idea. Jeff is anti fizzy water, so um, you know we're we're this is kind of a addendum to to Jan's idea here. So Jan, let's kick us off. What's the f- number one? Favorite summer beverage in your mind? Well, to no surprise, it is fizzy water. And I have a new favorite, Waterloo brand, which they now have at Costco in um, cases. And they have orange vanilla, which tastes like a melted creamsicle. And it's fabulous. It's still sparkling water at the end of the day. And that's what makes it great. I'm drinking right now. Jeff, your number one? My number one is my... Patent pending rum punch. That's my favorite summer drink. I've, Sounds uh, like trouble. I have been experimenting for a few years trying to get it right. I think I've got it mostly right. It's a little bit of uh, orange juice, a little bit of pineapple juice, dark and light rum, some uh, maraschino cherries, a little bit of grenadine, and then there's this kind of like lime, sweetened lime juice stuff that I found. Pour a little bit of that in there. Mm, wow. Beautiful. Well, make it by make it by the pitcher. Drink it by the pitcher. Well, I was gonna say walk in disaster there. My number one, I will say, as much as I wanted to put Diet Coke as my number one because it's my all time favorite beverage, I had a little Michael Broadcorp sitting on my shoulder giving me a hard time about that, which is scary. So I pivoted. I'm going with Spike Seltzer, but specifically because I know Jeff is going to give me a hard time if I don't come out with specifics. Um, I'm going with Quirk, the brand Quirk. They have a watermelon salt and lime. Don't knock it till you try it. It's delicious. It is amazing. Highly recommend. I'm totally writing that down. It sounds wonderful. Oh, so good. I'll I'll text it to you. It is delicious. The, The variety pack is all great, but that's my number one. 
All right. Number two, Jan. Well, have to be honest. It's um, it's Sauvignon Blanc, and it has to be from New Zealand. And I don't really care where from New Zealand, but it has to be from New Zealand. Nobolo, that's number one. Uh, Marlboro, I get you. I'm well. I'll hold, I'll hold my my support, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, homemade lemonade. That is my number two. Okay. Homemade like, lemonade, like and, 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 and or like- no, and so and here's the here's the the secret because I found this a couple years ago. You can take the bottle of lemon juice, right? So you get the the big green bottle of lemon juice and you can make lemonade out of lemon juice with just lemon juice, water, and sugar. Very simple, easy to make, very fresh. This was right. a revelation to you? Yes, I don't, I thought you had to get like lemons and squeeze them and stuff. That sounds like way That's too much effort. That's what is that lemon juice though. I would, thank you, Jan. I, I thought the same thing. Um, I also, um, I... Kind of what my number two is is sort of just regular soda water. I have a soda stream. I drink like four liters of just plain soda water a day. I do like LaCroix, um, but again, I'm going to stick with my just plain fizzy water all day, every day. It just sounds awful. No taste. Number three. Number three has to be gin and tonics and being specific, Mm -hmm. Hendrix gin. There you go. We know Jeff likes his specifics. I, I do. Uh, my number three is because this is my age water from the hose. Oh yeah. Number three, summer beverage water from the hose. Was it, was it on this podcast or a different podcast? I was just listening and somebody had talked about like, did you really drink water from the hose? And they're like, yeah, we weren't allowed inside. Yeah. You you just got that little iron taste to it right it's a little bit warm at first you gotta let it run for a little while in order (laughs) before it actually gets cold i mean where else (laughs) were you gonna get it you couldn't come inside till the outside front light went on exactly my number three is also sav blanc i am a major believer also of the new zealand sav blanc light refreshing perfect um you, if you want to take it up a notch even a white wine spritzer add a little bit of my number two with my number three have a little bit of a fizzy white wine mm. I, I am like the ultimate basic basic gal with with this but i i'll take it all day every day yeah that works round four well, back to LaCroix, um, and this time it's Lemoncello LaCroix. Mm, I haven't oh. tried that one. Oh, it's fabulous. All right. Uh, my number four is an ice-cold Coca-Cola Classic. It's very interesting. Sort of thick for summer? Yeah. No. No, something about it being really hot, you can get a really nice cold Coke, hits the spot on a summer day. Huh. All right. Um, my number four is the Stiegel Grapefruit Radler. Grapefruit beer. Man, it's delicious. So when so real quick divergence here. So when I was young, I was a foreign exchange student in Germany. And that was a thing that they that they that word Radler was a thing that they did and it was like orange juice and beer or something, or it was some kind of mix whatever and they talked about it and they loved it and you were always supposed to try Rattler. I've never heard Delicious. of it. Oh, so good. I will say uh Lonely Blonde's uh grapefruit, uh the um Minnesota shout out is is a close second to grapefruit, but I, I decided to limit it to only one on my list. All right, let's round out this list here of our food fight this week, our drink fight, I guess. Number five, Jan. 
Number five for me is um, is just a portion of a drink. It's Akavit. And of course, I am Scandinavian, and it is Akavit is you can mix it with anything that you would mix gin or vodka with, but it's just so much better. And they have a a, a distillery in Duluth, Viker Distillery in Duluth, and they have the best Akavit like on the planet. Get awards over Norwegian made Akavit. Interesting. We might okay. have to have a tasting. There we go. Yeah, super good. Uh, my number five is the juice from a freezy pop after it's three quarters melted. Excellent. Uh, my little divergent there. We introduced my son to because uh, of his, of course, gross disease in his mouth. And um, we introduced him to Pedialyte pop. So the freezy pops, the sure. Pedialyte pops. Yep. Man, that kid was a fan of that juice. Yeah, he's never had juice. He's never only had milk or water. Um, so, oh, then you give him a little bit of flavor. Now he's hooked. Yeah, my number five is Prize Royal Raspberry Sour. I love a good sour. That's my all-time favorite. Not just summer year-round. I'll take it. Delish. Very tart. Fantastic specifics today. I appreciate everybody's list. Uh, we we got into some real specifics. Uh, your choices uh leave a bit to be desired but the but we good, got some good specific lists and that is progress jan i needed to ask you one thing i forgot do you get like a discount at ikea no or no oh okay i was just wondering because of the whole i i i should get um discounts everywhere just because <laughs> but none of that exists <laughs> i was thinking of your uh your your, your, you post about, you know, whatever in the, yes. and it has these words and they have all the little dots on them and it looks like Ikea furniture labels to me. And I was at Ikea this weekend and I was thinking, I wonder if you get some kind of cultural discount. Oh, Although it is funny. I will say when I first went to Norway, the thing when you check into a hotel that everyone asks you is, oh, your last name, you know, that's the name of a town. Yes, I do know that. So <laughs> there are some advantages to being as identifiable as I am. Oh, well, Jan, we thank you for stepping out of your comfort zone, for coming on and joining us. This was fantastic. I appreciate everything. I thought I had a great time and and I hope it wasn't too painful for you. It was not. And um, for my parting comment, just remember with flags that the American flag is always stage right. Oh, once a uh, once an event planner, always an event planner. And if you're ever planning an event that there's going to be flags, bring a wire hanger. Jan, that was the best thing. Now, always keep it in your trunk. You can go in and fix any. I mean, there's nothing that ruins a wonderful, you know, candidate campaign event photo than a flag flipped around and, and the chaos of it. Um, Absolutely. Well. Need to pay attention to the little stuff. <laughs> well, thank you, Jan. We'll chat soon. Thanks, you guys. All right. Thanks, Jan. So, Becky, it occurs to me, after having let Jan go, I think I confused Sweden and Norway. Ooh. And I guess those are not the same thing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, kind of just made not my thing. I, the, I don't know. The state of Minnesota, man. They're not. I didn't know. I thought they were the same thing. Don't they have the same flag or I don't know. Whatever. They're not, in the same not my deal. Okay. Well, super grateful for Jan. I know she was, uh, like you said, a little reluctant. She did a great job, represented well. 
I appreciate her tweets. A good follow on Twitter. Go find Jan Unstead and uh, follow you know, her. Jan's an interesting person because I think, I, I mean, if you, if you look at it, her background, she's definitely more political than kind of your average person um, because obviously she worked in politics. However, you know, from a political standpoint, I think she finds herself like many politically homeless at this point where, you, you know, as she mentioned about, am I really in the middle? I don't know that I am in the middle, but, I, and that's, you know, that's where I find myself. I look to the left and I go, well, I definitely know that you guys aren't my that, that I'm not that. And then I look to the right and I go, well, I'm not that I kind of used to be that, but I don't think I'm that anymore. So I don't know what, what's going on there. So, you know, so I thought, you know, that was actually the, the, the tweet she shared that made me think of it was talking about how, you know, uh, some, there were some things going on in New York where Republicans were making some gains in New York and, and Politico uh, is calling these people MAGA people, but I think at this point MAGA is just one of those things that is meaningless um, because now all Republicans are just going to be called MAGA, and and so it's just I, I don't know, it's a it's a crazy world out there. But I think there are lots of us in the middle, and um, that doesn't mean we don't have opinions, but it means maybe we just don't align exactly with uh, where the political parties are these days. I agree. And I, you know, as Jen mentioned, you know, with her, her golf friends, you know, I am hopeful that all of this, I keep saying it, but chaos, you know, surrounding the MAGA world, the Trump side of things doesn't force these folks out and, and force them to keep their mouth shut and, and just, you know, get disillusioned by it all, um, that they, they stop paying attention or stop being involved because the only way as Republicans, we are going to be able to kind of like quote unquote, take back our party is by more of these kind of middle quote unquote, you know, I'm doing my air quotes, uh, middle Republicans, um, being vocal and, and sharing our opinions and and some criticism and questioning of of that other side that we don't agree with and don't believe are a good representation of our party. So time will tell. I will tell. Tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. I'm going Tweet first. Tweet of the week. Now you go first. I gotta say, as I'm launching into this, regretting my choice already. I chose one that has a billboard and the tweet describes the billboard and we're on a podcast and nobody can see this billboard. But let me read it okay. and then I'll tweet it out. And next week I'll do better when I, I just am out of practice. I've gone a week. <laughs> so I, I apologize in advance. Why we're just going with it. So the tweet says, I genuinely think that adopting a kid in need of a family is one of the most impactful things an individual can do to improve society. Having said that, I am having trouble imagining the person who decides to do it after seeing this billboard. Now, this billboard is literally a billboard that has about eight, looks like Power Rangers superheroes, and says, learn about adopting a teen. Find your shazam I mean, what were the marketing people thinking? I don't know. It's pretty wild. But I Find your shazam All right. I'm, I'm All embarrassed. Right. Let's move on. All right. All right. Uh, my tweet of the week uh, might be one of my favorite tweets of all time. Uh, and uh, it's about the show last week, actually. Um, and it's uh, from uh, someone named Mike Postma, who is actually uh, on the city council in Austin, Minnesota. Uh, his name is actually listed as Mike 
trombone champ, Postma. I don't know if maybe he's into the tr- trombone or that's a inside joke I don't get, but his tweet says, me, I'm not going to get sucked into this M. Broadcorp, J.P. Kolb food fight thing. It's just something they're doing to drive clicks and tweets. 15 minutes later, me screaming at my phone. I'm not even from Minnesota originally, and I know that he- that Heggie's is the best. So thank you, Mike, for getting sucked in to the food fight, which is, of course, the most controversial part of the show. Uh, Hopefully we made it pretty controversial for you this week. It is okay. It might be something we just do to drive clicks and tweets. I don't know. I'm not not really in charge, but uh, but either way, I want to thank him, too, because you had not Heggies on your number five. I put out my list. If you want to go to at Allery RL, you can see my five that I put out, even though I wasn't on last week. And Heggies is on mine. It's delicious. They don't skip on toppings. It's a little slippery and you lose stuff, but it's delicious. And the bar I worked at for a good six summers in a row um, served it late night delish so see i i think i i honestly think heggies is one of those things like if you if you have a if you have an attachment to it because you were in a bar and you ate it you're into it and if you haven't which i haven't then you don't and i think that's just one of those things and that's okay it is well jeff thank you again for uh holding down the fort last week without me joining me this week and and being here for the next couple of weeks we miss michael we're wishing him well and and again grateful as he said for all of the support keep sending your well wishes um and we're gonna have him um back sooner than sooner than later we know it and uh thank you for a great show so let's close us out here do i get my transition noise Oh wait, 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 wait! Let me find it. See, I'm not good at it. I'm not. Well, I'm not yes, like. We got I know. I gotta be. I gotta Michael's, be. Wait. Michael's gonna hook us up with the music anyway. We want to thank yeah. you for listening to the breakdown with Bradcorp and Becky featuring Jeff Cole. Before we go, welcome love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen. You can also leave a review on our website bbbreakpod.com. Again, the website's bbbreakpod.com. At Twitter, at bbbreakpod. The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky featuring guest host Kolb will return next week. Have a good one. Have a good one. <laughs>